Section 13 of Unaddressed Letters by Anonymous, edited by Frank Athelstane Swettenham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eva Davis. Her fiancé. You say that my opinions are very unorthodox, that my views on human constancy are cynical, and that it is wicked to sympathize with children who oppose their inclinations to the behests of their parents. Do you forget that I said we should not agree? And will you be angry if I venture to suggest that you have not read my letters very carefully, or that your sense of justice is temporarily obscured? If I dared, I would ask you to look again at the letters, and then tell me exactly wherein I have sinned. I maintained that all are not gifted with that perfect constancy which distinguished Helen and Guinevere, and a few other noble ladies whose names occur to me. I notice that, as regards yourself, you disdain to answer my question, and we might safely discuss the subject without reference to personal considerations. My regrets over the strained relations which sometimes exist between parents and children could hardly be construed into an incitement to rebellion. They did not amount to more than a statement of lamentable facts, and a diagnosis of the causes of the trouble. When you add that truth is often disagreeable and better left unspoken, I will subscribe to the general principle, but fail to see its application here. Nor can I agree with you that problems of this sort are lacking in interest. To be able to construct a geometrical figure and prove that the method is correct does not sound very interesting, but architects, who have knowledge of this kind, have achieved results that appeal to those who look at the finished work, without thought of the means by which the end was gained. With your permission, I will move the inquiry to new ground, and do not think I am wavering in my allegiance, or that my loyalty is open to doubt, if I say one word on behalf of man, whose unstable affections are so widely recognized that no sensible person would seek to dispute the verdict of all the ages. He is represented as loving a sex rather than an individual, is likened to the bee which sucks where sweetness can be found and only whilst it lasts. He shares with the butterfly the habit of never resting long on any flower, and like it, he is drawn by brilliant coloring and less clean attractions. Virtuous affection and plain solid worth do not appeal to him. These are articles of popular belief and must not be questioned, but I may say to you that they do the poor man somewhat less than justice. As a bachelor, he has few opportunities of examining virtuous affection on his own account. The experiences of his friends are not always encouraging, and if he has to work, other things absorb most of his attention at this stage of his existence. If he marries, especially if he marries young, he is often enthusiastic and usually hopelessly ignorant of feminine methods, inclinations, and fastidious hesitation. He feels an honest, blundering, but real and passionate affection. He shows it, and that is not seldom an offense. He looks for a reciprocation of his passion, and when, as often happens, he fully realizes that his transports awaken no responsive feeling, but rather a scarcely veiled disgust. His enthusiasm wanes, he cultivates self-repression, and assumes a chilly indifference 
that in time becomes the true expression of his changed feelings from this keen disappointment this sense of his own failure in his own home the transition to a state of callousness and thence to one of deep interest in another object where his advances are met in a different spirit is not very difficult you see i am taking for granted that the popular conception of his shortcomings in regard to the affections is correct and i only want to suggest some of the reasons which have earned for him such a bad reputation first it is the fault of his nature for which he is not altogether responsible it is different to yours in this respect he starts somewhat unfairly handicapped if his running is tried by the same standard as that fixed for the gentler sex then his education not so much in the acquirement of book knowledge as in the ways of the world is also different his physical robustness is thought to qualify him when still a boy to go anywhere to see everything at close quarters and without a chaperon he is thrown into the maelstrom of life and there he is practically left to sink or swim and whether he drown or survive he must pass through the deep water where only his own efforts will save him a few disappear altogether and while all get wet some come out covered with mud and others are maimed or their constitutions permanently injured by the immersion that is the beginning and i think you will admit that except in very few peculiar cases the boy's early life is more calculated to smirch than to preserve his original innocence then he settles down to work for a living or for ambition and in either case he has left but little time to study the very complex complement of his life woman if he does not incontinently fall in love with what appeals to his eye he deliberately looks about for someone who may make him a good a useful and if possible an ornamental wife in the first case he is really to be pitied but his condition only excites amusement the man is treated as temporarily insane and everyone looks to the consummation of the marriage as the only means to restore him to his right mind that indeed is generally the result but not for the reason to which the cure is popularly ascribed the swain is very much in love whereas the lady of his choice is entering into the contract for a multitude of reasons where passionate affection very probably plays quite an inferior part the man's ardor destroys any discretion he may have he digs a pit for himself and falls into it and unless he has great experience unusual sympathy or consummate tact he misunderstands the signs draws false conclusions and nurses the seeds of discontent which will sooner or later come up and bear bitter fruit if on the other hand he deliberately enters the matrimonial market and makes his choice with calm calculation as he would enter the mart to supply any other need he may run less risk of disappointment but the other party to the bargain will in due time come to regret the part she has undertaken to play and feel that what the man wanted was less a wife than a housekeeper a hostess a useful ally or an assistant in the preservation of a family name very few women would fail to discover the truth in such a case and probably none would neglect to mention it neither the fact the discovery nor the mention of it will help to make a happy home 
with husbands and wives if neither have any need to work it ought to be easy to avoid boredom the most gruesome of all maladies and to accommodate themselves to each other's wishes they however constitute a very small proportion of society a man usually has to work all day and if he is strong and healthy it is hardly reasonable to suppose that his only thought when his work is over should be how he can best amuse his wife if he sets that single object before him as his duty or his pleasure and his wife accepts the sacrifice the man's health is almost certain to suffer unless there is some form of exercise which they can enjoy together husbands and wives take a good deal for granted and it is more curious that lovers who are bound by no such tie often meet with shipwreck on exactly the same sort of dangers to be too exacting is probably of all causes the most fertile in parting devoted lovers but enough of speculation pardon my homily and let me answer your question you ask me what has become of the man we used to see so constantly sitting in the park with a married lady who evidently enjoyed his society i will tell you and you will then understand why it is that you have not seen him since that summer when we too found great satisfaction in each other's company he was generally about the town and when not there seemed rather to haunt the river small blame to him for that there is none with perceptions so dead that the river on a hot july day will not appeal to them i cannot tell how long afterwards it was but the man became engaged to a girl who was schooling or travelling in france she was the sister of the woman we used to see in the park un bel giorno the man and his future sister-in-law started for the continent to see his fiancée arrived at dover the weather looked threatening or the lady wanted rest or it was part of the arrangement details of this kind are immaterial anyhow they decided to stay the night in a hotel and cross the following morning in the gray light which steals through darkness and recoils from day some wanderer or stolid constable saw a white bundle lying on the pavement by the wall of the hotel a closer examination showed this to be the huddled and shattered body of a man in his nightdress a very ghastly sight for he was dead it was the man we used to see in the park and several stories above the spot where he was found were the windows not of his room but of another i do not know whether the lady continued her journey but if she did her interview with her sister must have been a bad experience End of section 13